0: Welcome to Harper Audio Presents. This is Erin Wicks with Harper Audio. I recently spoke with Katie Simpson-Smith, author of The Story of Land and Sea, on sale August 26, 2014. The Story of Land and Sea is about the entangled lives of two families over three generations in the small town of Beaufort, North Carolina, around the time of the Revolutionary War. The story opens on a young father, John, and his spirited daughter, Tabitha, struggling to build their lives in the conspicuous absence of Tabitha's mother, Helen, who died in childbirth. As the novel continues, it shifts course to envelop Helen's story as a young girl, as well as that of Maul, a slave girl given to Helen on her 10th birthday, and Asa, Helen's rigid father. Sweeping in scope, but full of rich and gripping detail that bring the characters and era to life, The Story of Land and Sea is a brilliant debut novel. Before we speak with Katie, let's listen to an excerpt from the start of the audiobook, narrated by Eduardo Ballerini.
1: On days in August when sea storms bite into the North Carolina coast, he drags a tick mattress into the hall and tells his daughter stories, true and false, about her mother. The wooden shutters clatter and Tabitha folds blankets around them to build a softness for the storm. He always tells of their courting days, of her mother's shyness. She looked like a straight, tall pine from a distance. Only when he got close could he see her trembling. Was she scared? Happy, John says. We were both happy. He watches Tab pull the quilt up to her chin, though even the storm can't blow away the heat of summer. She's waiting to hear his secrets but it is hard to describe how it feels to stand next to someone you love on the shore at dusk. He didn't have to see Helen to know she was there. Something in her body pulled at something in his across the humid air between them. When you're older, he says, and she nods, familiar with this response. Why don't you ever tell about the ship, she asks. All the things you must have seen with her. He looks down the hall at the shadows whipping across the slats and holds a finger to his lips. Can you hear any birds? Tab slips into the kitchen for an end of bread in the darkness of the storm. She will keep asking him until he tells her.
0: Katie, thank you for sitting down with us today.
2: Thank you so
0: much for having me. So I want to start out by
2: asking you, how did you come up with a story for the story of Land and Sea? So it originated from a road trip that I took when I was in graduate school, and I was getting away on the weekends trying to escape grad school life, and I drove down to Beaufort, North Carolina, which is where the novel takes place, and found this 18th century graveyard that had so many weird and fascinating graves in it. Um, They have a brochure that will guide you around to the various graves and tell you about the stories behind them. Um, But one of the graves that didn't really have much of a story was this little wooden marker that said, Little girl buried in rum keg. And I just had to know how she got in there and who would have chosen this method of uh, burial um, for their daughter. Uh, And so once I had the character of Tabitha, I just sort of spun out from there and, and discovered her father and her mother and her grandfather. So that's how all the characters first came to be.
0: Okay, so you really were trying to get in the head of the little girl
2: first. Mm-hmm. Did you do any more research into the unmarked grave? Um, I did. There's no name or date attached to it, so we really don't there's, um, we don't have any information about it. There's some speculation uh, about a girl that might have been taken to England by her father and then died uh, en route, but there's no historical evidence to back it up. Uh, so most of the research I did into Beaufort, the town itself, was to find out what kinds of people would have been living there, um, where the church would have been, what kinds of congregations would be attending the church, um, and the various battles that took place during the Revolution.
0: Okay, and so the larger details in the book are very historically grounded? Yes. Including the battles and Yes. Wow. What kind of documents did you end up looking into? What sorts
2: of things were you able to access and read to inform it? There are some good histories of the town of Beaufort that show um, sort of early foundations of buildings um, and, of course, records of soldiers that participated in the war and things like that. Um, But most of the research I did was more sort of to get a feel of the language of the time period um, and the morals and values that people would have had then. Uh, And a lot of that research comes from my previous work as a grad student in history. Um, So I was studying the 18th century for my dissertation, and um, reading letters and diaries and plantation records for five years uh, gave me such a good sense of what people in those time periods really thought was important.
0: Okay, because that was another one of my questions is how do you immerse yourself in this mindset that's so different from a contemporary mindset And what do you think distinguishes this end of the Revolutionary War from
2: today? That's a really good question. Um, I think there are a surprising number of similarities, which is why I think it's a very fascinating time for you to write about. Uh, So you have people who are losing their wives and losing their children, and that happens today. Um, What's different, I think, is that that uncertainty about whether you would live or die was so much greater. Um, disease was more rampant. Many more women died during childbirth. Um, so the stakes are higher. For those characters that I'm writing about, it just makes their lives seem more urgent. And so that's you know really rewarding as a fiction writer to be able to get into the heads of people who don't know what's going to happen to them in any given moment.
0: Yeah, it really ups the tension and the right. stakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you think that your telling of the South in this era, pre-Civil War, differs from kind of a lot of the standard fiction out there. You know, my head jumps to, you know, a book I loved as a small child, Gone with the Wind, and I think mm-hmm. that your depiction of it is much more subtle and complex. Um, so, yeah, how do you see your story interplaying with with more traditional Southern? Right,
2: that's writing? a hard question to answer um, because I am a Southern writer and I have to sort of respect that lineage. Um, but at the same time, I think we have a duty to make the South and especially the historical South more complex than it's been portrayed. Um, And one of the interesting things about this late revolutionary period is that not many people associate it with Southern cultures and Southern peoples. Um, When we think of the South in historical fiction, we think of the Civil War. Uh, So it was a really great opportunity to show people what regional um, distinctiveness existed Long before we have this mythology of the Southern Belle and um, large-scale plantation slavery, uh, and to find the South in a moment before the South might have existed is is very interesting to me as a writer and a historian.
0: So, do you feel at this time period that the South was more kind of unified with the North and hadn't become such a distinctive entity since it's more more identifying as part of the colonies than its own entity within the colonies. Right.
2: It was definitely distinctive, but what made it distinctive was very different than what we think of today. Um, so we have this image today of the South as being sort of backwoods and a little bit behind the rest of the nation and education poverty and even obesity. Um, but in that time period, different factors were at play. So the South was more geared towards large-scale farming and agriculture, Um, the population was much more diverse in terms of, um, both African slaves and African Americans, uh, and whites, um, and Native Americans all sort of living in this space together. Um, and so it wasn't as sort of quickly industrializing as the North. So as a result of all this, I feel like the South is so much more connected to the landscape in this time period, um, that land matters both in terms of the economy, but also in terms of how people interact with each other, um. When when your house is several miles away from the next house, it makes a difference in in who you call your people and who you call your family. So I think that's one of the things that made the South the South at that time period.
0: That's fascinating. That is very different from, I think, conventional mindsets about it, and very beautiful. Um, Now, how do you think the cultural and kind of social limitations of the era define the characters and their actions? Because... A lot of the central characters are women. One is an African-American woman, a slave. Um, so how do you think that kind of limits them, and how do they also ch- challenge these conventions that they're within?
2: Right. I wanted to be responsible in terms of portraying these characters as realistic for the time period, but also allowing modern readers to connect with them and to see what kinds of things they were going through that, that modern readers can, can relate to. Um, so the character of Maul, for instance, who's enslaved, she has so many barriers in her life that we know about because we know about slavery. Um, she's not allowed to choose the man she marries. She's not allowed to have any sort of job of her own. Um, her life is controlled by the people who own her. And yet, she still has a fiery personality and opinions, and she stands up for herself, uh, which I think we tend to forget about when we think about slavery. And so. Because Maul uh, has this personality, just like the other characters in the book, uh, it shows us this human side of slavery.
0: I agree. It's, it's a very interesting look at it. Um, now, you have a Ph.D. in history. You have an MFA in writing. You're a professor of history at Tulane. And you published a study of early American motherhood in the South, I believe, previously. Um, and I'm wondering how all of these kind of forces, and growing up in the South and living in the South kind of interplayed into the creation of the book?
2: Um, yes, I think being from the South makes a big difference in my writing. I think it, it guides me towards certain themes, um, faith and family and geography. Um, and having that uh, experience in graduate school for history was crucial in allowing me to research this time period so much and to get a good sense of the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell in, um, in the fiction world. Um, so I, one of the things I loved about my graduate program was that I was getting into the lives of people who are not normally talked about or considered. Um, these women who are mothers who don't have big, splashy political careers or um, do extraordinary things but are just raising their children, that provoked me to think about other ordinary people who might be extremely interesting uh, nonetheless. And underrepresented. You get and the underrepresented. <laughs> and
0: now... You you are a southern writer, and who do you think really influenced you from like the canon of great American southern writers?
2: Oh wow! Well, I have read pretty much all of Faulkner. <laughs> I started reading him very young, and just adored everything he did. Um, I think you know Faulkner and Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor, um, Margaret Walker, Alexander, Richard Wright. They all speak to this this multifaceted South that is that has so many innately interesting characters in it. Um, and sometimes it's very Gothic, and sometimes it's very romantic. Um, but I look to them to show me all the different sides of the South, and I think that that's really important to do.
0: Now, what do you see yourself pursuing next as a
2: writer? I am working on my second novel right now. Yay! Yay! It is also um, historical and set in the South. So um, it's been fun to sort of get back into that time period. Okay, it
0: will be set in a similar time period? Yes. Okay, oh, that's great. Yeah. And how do you kind of go about discovering your characters? How
2: do you know when a character needs to be developed more in your mind and on the page? That's a good question. Um, I often work with these little kernels of historical facts. Um, so if something seems particularly interesting to me in an old document, um, especially if a historical figure is underwritten or has these gaps in their life, like the little girl in the graveyard, that always you know piques my curiosity, and I, I tend to run with it. And the other characters often just pop up along the way as I'm writing in unexpected ways. Um, and that's kind of the most fun thing for me about writing. I don't tend to write with a lot of structure ahead of time. I don't outline things. They just, things sort of come out of the woods at me, and then later on I can say, okay, this character works and this character does not help the story in any way and we can send him back to the woods. That's excellent. Do you have anything else you'd like to add or share with people who are going to read the book? Um, I don't think so. I'm just so excited that, that people are going to actually read the book. It's still very surreal.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking with us. This has been great. I really enjoyed the book. Thank you. In this final excerpt from the audiobook of The Story of Land and Sea, Tapitha has become very ill, and John believes that taking her to sea might cure her. Here he approaches a ship in the harbor in hopes its captain will take him and his daughter on board.
1: He should go back to his daughter, who might be cold, but he can't walk away from the docks. There are no other paths that he can see. A sailor walks past with a load of nets and a familiar beard, and John asks once more about his friend who would give him passage on any boat. The sailor pauses and shifts his load. Tom been strong, he says, caught for something, maybe pinching rations. When John doesn't reply, the sailor walks on, dragging rope behind him. John squints at the south horizon in a flat sea. Tom Waldron, he minded mass for me. John turns to see a young gentleman, with a thin patrician nose smoking a pipe, his free hand playing about his ruffled neck. Hezekiah Frith, he says, and tilts his head. Looking for passage? You wouldn't take me. I have a daughter ill. And where are you bound? Merely away, the Indies. Frith taps his pipe, then tugs his coat sleeves even. I'm a man short. What ships have you ridden? The Mohawk The victory, the trying, but a woman, John says. I have no superstitions there. I like them for a cover. And the fever? We've a physician aboard. Keep us separate and well aired. Frith glances toward the town road and sees the sagging patchwork bundle. Little girls, he says. We're making for Bermuda, catching what we will along the way. You'll take Tom's post for no pay and no pinching. We run small business and little harm. We'll drop you on the island, and if you sail again, I'll offer shares. Is that a bargain you'll shake to? John sees his dead life breathing. He remembers taking another woman on a ship, carrying Helen, not ill, but a bride, on deck, her smile reflected in the sun, the sea not wide enough to mirror their affection. He is here again, grasping. Because he is selfish of his child. He cannot lose another piece of his family. But Tab seems to yearn for this too. In his fatherhood, he is protecting her from death and God and misery. And so does what every man would do. He shakes Frith's hand and takes his daughter on board, the Fanny and Betsy. A cedar-hulled three-mast sloop. From the deck, they can hear Beaufort's church bells ringing.
0: You've been listening to Harper Audio Presents, the bi-weekly podcast program from HarperCollins Publishers, where we give you access to some of our favorite authors. Today we spoke with Katie Simpson-Smith, author of The Story of Land and Sea, on sale August 26, 2014, and listened to excerpts from the audiobook, narrated by Eduardo Ballerini. Please join us for more Harper Audio Presents podcasts, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio.